retreat. If you find any guys here who really seem to have their lives straightened out, it's because they were at the retreat. Probably all I can say to you, and you might just ask them how they did it. And if you find any who are really relating really well to their wives or other women, it all came from the retreat. Uh, we talked about women. So you might want to get the tapes to that, those of you who are struggling with that concept, and a lot of other concepts, like uh, the worship of God and how to get your private life in order and uh, get the overall direction of your life going the way you want it to go. Well, folks, in case you've forgotten already, we're studying the book of Revelation. It's a very interesting book. It's a staggering book. It's a confusing book. It's an exciting book. I want us to look just real quickly, just to get this back up in our heads, because we've been looking at uh, so many different concepts and, and little chapters of Revelation as we go along. Every once in a while, you need to just back up and look at the big picture again. And let's just, just march through, just in here about three minutes, what it is we've done and where we're headed. We saw that Jesus Christ is the, the great revelation uh, in John's revelation. He saw Christ in all of His glory. And Christ was walking among the lampstands. And those lampstands were the churches. So in the first three chapters, we have the glorious Lord Jesus Christ speaking to seven churches. And they were seven churches that John himself had ministered to as bishop and pastor. Then with the beginning of chapter 4, remember John saw heaven open up. And he saw the, the seal, and, or saw the scroll, and said, Who is worthy to open the scroll and open all its seals? And there the Lamb of God was willing and able to do that. And Jesus opens those seven seals, which shows that Jesus is in control of history. You want to know who's controlling all this? You want to know who to complain to if you've got a complaint? You want to know who to thank if you've got somebody to thank? It's the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of all of history. So that's a major key to understanding what John is saying. In the midst of all your chaos, all your problems, all your troubles, all your tribulations and persecutions, remember who's in charge. I saw him, Jesus Christ. He opened the seals to the scroll of history itself. Then in chapters 8 through 11, we saw seven angels blasting seven trumpets. And these trumpets are the trumpets of judgment, the trumpets of warning, that major things are coming upon the earth. And we've seen John show us that part of what's happening in this world as all the chaos happens and we saw this during the time of the tsunami, that even tsunamis are coming as part of God's announcement to the world to get ready for the end and His judgments against all ungodliness on the earth. So in some way or another, all of history and all of providence is part of God's judgment and His bringing things to conclusion. Then as we turn to chapter 12, last week, we really come to a major turning point in the book of Revelation. In the first 11 chapters, many scholars will say that what's happening is John is showing how Christ, uh, and through the church, uh, conquers all evil on the earth. When you turn to chapter 12, you're going to see that, that there's a spiritual battle behind all of this, and it really is Christ and Satan. And we see that Christ conquers Satan uh, in chapters 12 through the end. So, what happens is you're seeing all of the visible evidence that's on the earth in chapters 1 through 11, and we're told how it's going to unfold in history. And then you turn to chapter 12, and the curtain goes back, and you see the backdrop of the whole play. That behind all of it is a tremendous cosmic spiritual battle going on. And not only is the church going to conquer in this world, but Christ is conquering Satan behind the scenes, and that's what's really going on. It's extremely helpful because what you need to know every time you're involved in anything in this world is that there are spiritual realities behind all of this. Anytime you face a, a, a disease, anytime you face a financial disappointment, anytime you face a financial break, what, or rather a relational break, 
all, what it is, all the time is there is a spiritual drama going on. As, and we've seen many aspects of it. But in chapter 12 through 14, and this is where we are now, we're seeing how God is showing that His people, His 144,000, are going to endure for the 1,260 days, which we have seen is a symbol, three and a half years. People interpret this differently. But we've seen in the way that we're looking at it that John seems clearly to be using numbers as symbols. And the 144,000 is a symbol for the church. And 1260 is a symbol for the period in which we're living, three and a half years. It's a period of tribulation, a period of trial, a period of difficulty. And every one of us have experienced that personally. So what he's showing in chapters 12 through 14 is that we're going to make it. We're going to endure through these 1260 days. And so John is encouraging uh, the uh, Western Asians there to whom he's writing. But he's also warning them, saying, look, you're going to make it, but there's some things you're supposed to do. God's going to enable you to make it through changing your life and enabling you to know how to endure. We'll look at that a little later this morning. Then when we get to chapters 15 and 16, we'll see some more sevens. The seven angels pour out seven bowls of God's wrath. And we're going to see an intensity to the judgments that are coming. Not necessarily chronologically in, in some way, but theologically we'll see what's behind the scenes. Then when you get to 17 through 20, as we'll see, Jesus conquers Babylon, which, which is this world and the city of man, and he conquers the dragon. We'll see finally the dragon that, that we're now studying. By the time we get to chapter 19 and then, of course, 20, that dragon gets very well taken care of as far as we're concerned. And then in chapters 21 through 22, uh, God gives the new Jerusalem that comes down from above, and we enter the city that's been perfectly restored and, and built for us. Uh, in coming down from heaven. So there's the overall outline of Revelation. You can see what John's intending to do. Now, last week, you have your outlines on the table there. Uh, we, <clears throat> we saw that the devil, first of all, is a loser against Christ. In the first six verses, he tries to, to destroy the little baby that's born from the mother. And the mother is the people of God, the, the Israel of God. And then we saw in verses 7 through 12, the devil is a loser against heaven. He's being cast out of heaven. And that being cast out of heaven causes us a lot of problems because the devil is really angry now. We've got one ticked off devil because he's been thrown. He's lost his access to the, heavenly throne, to the heavenly thrones where he can complain against us and plot against us and ask special permission to, to wipe us out. He's lost his authoritative place as a result of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He also knows very clearly who's in charge. So he's been, uh, he's been uh, denuded of his power. He's uh, been emptied. He's been emasculated. And that really ticks him off. And furthermore, he knows that his time is short. He doesn't know when it's coming, just like we don't know when it's coming. He just knows it's coming and that it's soon. And so he is furious. Uh, he's had all of his uh, ego challenged. And he has been absolutely defeated and given a short period of time. And he's, lastly, he's restrained. He cannot do all that he used to do. Uh, he is on a, he's on a chain, a long chain, but he's chained. He's bound. He cannot do what he used to do. So we, we're, what we're dealing with, uh, we saw last time, John is teaching the people in the Asian churches. What you're dealing with is one ticked off devil for a short period of time, 1260 days, and it's going to be hell on earth. So look out, but don't be confused. And you see at the last, the bottom of this page two, we didn't get a chance to deal with this last week, but we asked ourselves the question, so what? 
Well, first of all, verses 13 through 17, we also saw he's a loser against you. He cannot destroy the church. So then we ask, so what? First of all, the enemy is real. Don't mess around. Uh, he, he is very destructive and very powerful. And we do not tease him or taunt him or toy around with him. Uh, secondly, he hates Christ. So when you're cooperating with evil, you're cooperating with the enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his personal sworn enemy. And that's another reason that we want to avoid evil. Why do I want to do things that, that are cooperating with the one who hates the one who loves me like a brother? It's like someone invading my family. Why do I want to empower someone who's destroying my brother? In this case, my older brother. In this case, my perfect older brother who died on the cross for me. Thirdly, our enemy is an idiot. Don't be impressed with him. And he will try to impress you. He will try to make it very slick. Try to make it very winsome, very alluring. Don't be impressed by idiocy. Fourthly, he's a loser. Don't switch sides. Uh, there are a few of you here who may have been in the Battle of the Bulge. It looked as though Germany really had put on a tremendous thrust, and maybe, maybe we underestimated them. No, it was their last gasp. Don't be tricked into switching sides. And unfortunately, some of the townspeople did switch sides. When the, when the German troops were coming, they thought, well, we'll switch back on the other side. They made a huge mistake. Fifthly, our enemy is on his way out. Don't lose heart. So we are not the people who get discouraged. We're the people who are encouraged. Because we know the end. This is the secret that Christians have. We know the end of the matter. We know where it's going. We know who wins. We know we're on the winning side. And so no matter what happens to us, we have reason to be encouraged. No matter what happens to us, we have reasons to be encouraged. This is not some silver lining uh, salesman talking to you, but a preacher. Because we know the end. So those are the so what's of chapter 12. And they show us how to deal with the devil. And we need to know how to do that because uh, I know there are a lot of caricatures about the devil, a lot of jokes made about the devil. I'm telling you, he's real. So don't mess around with him. Now, we're going to see today, this guy's got friends. Uh, and we've got to learn how to deal with them too. Uh, and let's look at those friends. If you turn to chapter 13, the devil is very frustrated because it looks as though he had tried his best to destroy you. Uh, he went after the, the woman who had given birth to Jesus, and that woman is the Israel of God. Now he goes after her again, the real church. And of course, now you know the Israel of God has Gentiles grafted into her as a result of what happened at Pentecost. So all these Gentiles, including you guys, unless there's some of you with good Jewish uh, ethnic background, uh, you know, you guys were engrafted into the true Israel. So now the devil is going after that woman who's the church all the denominations of all the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church, uh, he's going after her and he can't do it. He spews a torrent against her and the, the very earth opens up and takes the flood. God is going to preserve his church to the end. He's not going to get to the end of history and there's nobody there to praise him. I guarantee you that. And so he's going to preserve you, if for no other reason, than that he will be praised by those creatures that he has made in his own image. And that's the reason you're redeemed. So you can count on it. When you've got really low self-esteem, why don't you just give God esteem? So I'll have, I'll have high God esteem. And I know He wants to be praised. So I may be a crumb. I may be a bum. I may be a flea bite. But He wants to be praised, so He's going to keep me. That's what I do. That's how I talk to myself sometimes. When I get really down to myself, I say, okay, look, I'm not worthy. I'm not worth anything. But He is. And He gave me praise for Him on my lips so He'll get me to the end. And that's what God is going to do with His church 
The devil now, when we come to the, the, the end of the scene, on uh, chapter 13, verse 1, look there, the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. Just, ah, okay, that didn't work. Now what? All right, now we'll see what the what is. Verse 2, And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns. And on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. There it is again. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Let's stop right there. We're going to talk about the beast out of the sea. And what we're going to learn in this, with this beast, and this beast is interpreted differently by different folks, uh, it seems clearly to be a political power, and we'll show you why in just a moment, because there's a very close association with, this, uh, with four beasts that are in Daniel 7. And it's clearly taken right out of Daniel 7. Daniel 7's beasts talk about four kingdoms that are coming. Uh, you can talk with you know, the Babylonian kingdom, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, and then, of course, the Romans. Those four kingdoms in history. And Daniel shows how when the kingdom of God comes, he will destroy and judge all those four beastly kingdoms. Now, Daniel, uh, or rather, John here is clearly seeing something that has to do with a political reality. Those who are futurists, you know, the Hal Lindsey approach, for example, the John Walford approach, would simply say this is a big political figure who's to come in the future toward the end of the last seven years in history before the millennium known as the Great Tribulation. And you know, all along we've been saying we're in the Tribulation. That uh, our view is that when John speaks of Tribulation, he's talking to saints who are then going through it. They're being persecuted. They're being put to death. They're in Tribulation. So our view is that in John chapter 4, what, what begins there is the period of human history in the church between the first advent of Christ and the second advent. But some will see this as a future political figure to come. Now, if you remember the preterist approach, which has to do largely with God coming in judgment on the city of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., the preterist says this whole 42-month period is the three and a half years when Jerusalem was besieged by the Romans and then conquered. And that's what this great tribulation is all about. And this beastly figure is clearly the Roman Empire who's judging Israel. So, from the preterist point of view, you can see how they would interpret this beast. And uh, we'll see how they interpret the next beast, which is coming out of the land in both cases. 
Our view is, and it's the idealist view, is that what, what's happening is this 1260 days is the period that we're in now. And the descriptions that are in the text uh, through chapter after chapter seem to indicate things that are very common to the period in which we're now living, especially if you were in the late 1st century A.D., where all the persecutions were taking place in Western Asia. So we're saying these 1260 days are right now, and this beast is a political beast that certainly in John's day was represented by the Roman Empire, but in century after century has been represented by political entities which ascribe to themselves and arrogate to themselves pridefully and blasphemously even the place of the deity. And we see, we see in our own day, don't we, when people will make a god out of the state, whether it's Nazism or communism on the left, Nazism on the right, fascism or communism on the left, what it is, it's deifying the state and the political entity. So what John is giving us in this vision is that we're going to see these kinds of things. We need to be ready for it. We need to be ready for great political and human power which will seek to lead astray even the elect, even the chosen of God, if it were possible. And it's not possible. But that will be the attempt of the devil, this dragon who's on the shore of the, of the sea, calling up this beast out of the sea. And this beast is one who's going to seek to lead all, the, all humanity astray through political, military, uh, and governmental power. Anything that has to do with human influence and power. So, what are we learning in the first ten verses then. Why are we told all this stuff? Well, look at the last verse we just read. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. That's what John is saying. You're going to face these things. And if you're not ready to face them with patient endurance and faith and faithfulness, you're going to get eaten up. Somebody's going to eat your lunch. So let's learn about patient endurance and faithfulness. So that's what he's saying. Faithfully endure this world's beastly persecutions. So what we get in the first ten verses are the persecutions that come from human systems of power, whether it's in business and professional life, or whether it's in government, or some other way. Uh, And so we must be careful and learn how to endure. Now, what we learn in this text is this world's rulers have several things. First of all, they got a lot of power. And that's what ten horns, seven heads, and ten crowns mean. As we saw last week, this, in some ways, is just the reverse. Wasn't it ten heads and, uh, and seven horns or something like that? Uh, and the crowns, uh, in this case, it says that he had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns. In the other case, the, the crowns were on the heads. And so you can see it's just a mirror image. And in many ways, what you get in human uh, power systems are just the mirror image of the devil himself. Now, This is not to say that we shouldn't have human political systems. This is not to say that we shouldn't have business organizations. It's not to say that we shouldn't have clubs and other human entities where people come together. What it's saying is this. You've got to be careful because the devil will always try to get his hands on all those organizations, all those governments, and distort them. So if you're going to be able to use those systems and be responsible citizens in any of those entities... You have to be on your guard. You can't just be swept up into it thoughtlessly and think that you're going to live your life as a Christian man or even end up safely as a Christian man. You've got to be thoughtful and you've got to learn that you're going to have to endure some things if you're going to do this rightfully. So they're very powerful. And you'll see in this description an aggregate of the four beasts in Daniel 7. Uh, Don't bother to turn there. 
It'll take Taylor forever. Don't even try, Robert. Uh, but in Daniel 7, in Daniel 7, we've got four great, great beasts. Number one is a lion. Number two is a bear. Number three is a leopard. And then number four is a, a beast with ten horns. Sound familiar? You go in reverse order, and you have the beast with the, the ten horns. And then if you look in verse 2, you'll see that he had feet like a bear. I'm sorry, he resembled a leopard feet like a bear, and a mouth like a lion. Just the reverse of the four beasts in Daniel is what you have here. Once again, a mirror image. So clearly, John is seeing a vision which will recall in everybody's mind, as Bible students, exactly what he's saying. These are the kingdoms of this world. These are the political entities, the power systems, the power players, the emperors and the rulers and the bosses and the CEOs. And you know, it's very interesting when you look at the... Uh, is it healthcare? Uh, I've forgotten the name of the company in Birmingham with Scrooge. And uh, this, this guy is just telling people, do this, do this. And it's just such a power system. You get into it, everybody just, yes, sir, yes, sir. And they know in their conscience this is wrong. And they do it because he's powerful. He's the CEO. He could ruin them, they think. And fear and pride gets into the hearts of men. What has driven all of these accounting frauds that were taking place a few years ago, still taking place, but where some big companies were getting into trouble. It's because they were all going for the quarterly bottom line. Sometimes it's a monthly bottom line. It's just human pride telling them, we've got to hit this number, we've got to hit this number. And all of a sudden, men, they suspend their normal judgments. Even Christian people suspend their biblical judgments, and they go with the human power system. And what John is saying, you must endure faithfully. You must learn how to resist when those persecutions, those trials, those temptations are coming against you. You're not going to make it otherwise. And you've got to understand this is what the whole battle is about. Onward, Christian soldiers. We're not talking about the Crusades in the Middle Ages. We're talking about right now. There's a war going on. In case you hadn't noticed, if you hadn't noticed, you're in more trouble than everybody. Because behind this world systems is a huge, colossal attempt by the devil to distort everything, including our government. Every government. It's not the American government. It's every government. He will try to get his hands on the levers of power. And then we see that his power is derived from the dragon himself in verse 2. Where do you think he gets power? Where do you think, where do you think Nero was getting his power? From the dragon himself, says John. In his vision, he saw it. There's power there. If someone sells their soul out to the devil, there's power there. Not power to do good, but power to inflict evil and pain and agony. And using the, the male ego as the very tool of the devil, he distorts even the male ego, which is meant to protect other people and to advance the cause of Christ, and distorting that male ego and have it try to advance his own flesh, which is fallen and sinful, at the expense of other people. The devil loves that, that trick. And when he finds a cooperative player, that's exactly what he'll do. So he's very powerful. This beast is resilient. He has resilience. You notice in verse 3, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. This is the first comeback kid. He was completely defeated and comes back. Now, the reason this was so relevant to a first century believer was Nero... Uh, committed suicide. And the, the myth was that he was going to come back either as himself 
or through the personages, personages of the succeeding emperors. And uh, the emperor that was reigning right now was very evil, and some wondered, is this Nero redivivu? Does this Nero come back? And that was kind of the myth. So, there, so John is saying, I saw a vision that he had a fatal wound, a wound that should have taken him out. But he was back, and everybody was astonished. and said, whoa, to the beast. He's powerful. Who can handle him? So that is often the way it goes. We can be very impressed with the resilience of men of this world and of the devil's power to raise up people who look to be very bold and very courageous. And people will follow bold and courageous people. Not you, however, says the, says the apostle, because you are even more resilient than the beast. Thirdly, he is full of blasphemy. How so? He's even willing to receive the worship of those around him he utters proud words about himself, and he utters proud words about himself vis-a-vis God himself. And he tends to call himself God and makes himself and his organization the ultimate thing on the face of the earth. Now, this is the ultimate blasphemy. And this is what it was happening in business. So what happens to some of you? It doesn't have to be a big business. It can be a mom-and-pop shop. But you make that the ultimate reality on the face of the earth. And everything that you do is defined by the numerical success of your business. You have just created a beast, and you're running it. So John is saying, watch out. This is exactly the way the dragon works. He gets defeated. He can't destroy the church. So what does he do? Stands on the seashore, snaps his fingers. The beast comes out of the sea. And this beast is all these things we're talking about. All these human, prideful, blasphemous things into which we can get so easily involved. And our friends can too, and our sons and daughters can too. If we're thoughtless, and if we're spineless, and if we're only looking for temporary pleasure. If you look to pack in all the pleasure you can experience into this three score and ten, this is what you're going to do. Because you're trying to pack it all in this life. And so you're going to try to organize this life, conquer this life, you're going to try to organize everything, get everybody under your feet. You're going to try to run everything because you've got to have it now. If you don't get it now, you don't get it. And how are you thinking? Just like the devil, whose time is short. That is one of the driving motives to evils in this world is you're thinking in a short time frame. You're trying to pack it in, and you're trying to pack it in this broken world. You're trying to suck out of this broken world all that life has to hold. And what the Christian knows is this is a long game. And I want to have a long-term strategy. And I'm going to learn to defer some of my satisfaction. I'm going to learn to delay some of my gratifications because I know it's coming later. And you know some of the best businesses, even in this world, are the ones that lay a plan and they work that plan for, for decades sometimes until they get to where they want to be. Well, that's an analogy in this world. But what about if you know that that time goes into eternity? What if you know that your life is really infinitely long? Talk about a long-term strategy. That changes everything. And you don't grasp at the things in this world because they're transient. And because you're not going to be here very long. And because if you try to arrange your life to get real good and happy, real good and pleasurable in this life, real good and comfortable, you're going to make these kinds of mistakes. Blasphemy. You're going to make yourself the ultimate thing. That's exactly what the beast does. 
and encourages others to do as well. And then, of course, uh, he has duration. He's got his 42 months, verse 5. Here we go again. And he knows it. Sometimes we forget it, but he knows it. And he's going to be here for 42 months. Now, he's only going to be here 42 months. But he's going to be here not 41 months, not 41 and a half, 42. He's not going to be here most of your life. He's not going to be here for most of your grandchildren. He's going to be for all of them. He's here for the duration. So if you're thinking about finally getting to a point in your life, you know you get to be about 65 years old, you kind of expect things to get easier. You can forget that. He's going to be here until you draw your last breath. And when you draw your last breath, he'll still be whispering in your ear, and you think there's a heaven. <laughs> You'll hear that all the way to the end. So just get ready. 42 months, the whole schmeal. He's going to be here. He's got duration. And that's part of God's plan. We don't understand all of it. We just know that in the end, He works all this out for His glory. He is going to be, gentlemen, so glorified over this beast. He is going to use this crummy beast to show all of us how He is infinitely greater than everything that has risen its horn against Him. You just wait and you'll see. And when we get there, we'll say, okay, all right, all right, makes sense. Sorry, I asked all my stupid questions. I just had a few questions, you know. I'm sorry, I understand now. And you'll get there and you'll understand it. But for now, we won't understand everything. But just know God's got a plan. It's going to glorify Him. It's going to edify you. This is actually eventually working out for your good. Believe it or not. doesn't feel like it in the moment. And then He's going to conquest. Look at this. In, in verse 7a, He's doing some real serious damage here. He was given power by the dragon to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And we see this every century of history. There are governments and militaries and juntas and even religions that are organized that are taking out Christians because they're Christians. And it's going to go all the way to the end for 42 months. I remember uh, reading a, a good uh, Jewish commentator in the New York Times some years ago who was saying, where are all these Christians? Yeah, don't they know that Christians are being persecuted in Indonesia and Africa and in China? And he went through the list and showed how all these... He said, now, I'm not a Christian, I'm a Jew, but what, where are you Christians? You're not making much noise. Well, in some sense, he's right. We probably haven't been talking to our State Department like we should, uh, encouraging uh, healthy international relations based on civil, uh, civil rights and, and human rights. Uh, but the deeper secret, secret is this. We know this. This was predicted, and we know how it's going to turn out. And we hurt for our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted, and when we have the opportunity to save or rescue or supply them or feed them, clothe them, serve them, we do that. But we are not going to get down because we're losing some of our own. Because guess what? They come back. (laughs) They're coming back. And they're going to come back a whole lot better off than they are now. That's no excuse for negligence on our part or inactivity or apathy is just the opposite, as a matter of fact. It makes us bolder and more determined to help and to serve in this life. But we know, the deeper secret is we know, and we also know, this is our role in life. We are sheep fattened for the slaughter. How do we communicate the Gospel better than to lay down our lives for the Gospel when someone has a gun at our heads and says, renounce your faith? And you don't renounce your faith and you lose your life. That's the best sermon you'll ever deliver in your life if you ever have the opportunity. It'll echo through the entire culture for years. You'll never have an opportunity to preach like that. 
We know this stuff. So that's the reason that Christians humble ourselves and we have patient endurance for 42 months. Even when we're being conquered in this life because we know it's not an ultimate conquest. As Joseph Zahn, the Romanian, who is being uh, tortured by Ceausescu's uh, men, you know, in the old Romanian regime. And he was taken to prison one night just because he's a preacher. Taken to the police station and beaten up and whipped and threatened with his life. And Joseph says, you know, the good thing about being a Christian, he said, he said to the ones who were beating him, you know, if you'll go ahead and put me to death, my tapes will sell like crazy. <laughs> and they got really angry. And they, you know, blasphemed and cursed him, but then they didn't put him to death because they knew he was exactly right. <laughs> it would get everybody's attention. It would advance the kingdom and probably would have delivered them from Ceausescu a few years earlier than, they, than he actually uh, uh, was killed. So, uh, and Joseph Zahn is alive today. But our conquests are only temporary. And so there's nothing you can do to me except maybe make the gospel I'm proclaiming a little more famous by, by murdering me. And then verses 7b and 8, he's going, to, he's going to be very popular. You're going to say, what? A beast with ten, uh, ten horns and seven heads? This grotesque, blasphemous beast will have people following him? Yes! It's always been so. People would line up with the Roman Senate and line up with the Roman Emperor and please him and satisfy him and tell him how wonderful he was. And tell them it's wonderful to use the Christians for lanterns at night. Just wrap them with animal skins and put them on fire. Caesar, that's wonderful. People will line up behind this grotesque beast. In fact, he says, everybody who does not have their name written in the book of life will line up behind them. Do we hear this? So be not surprised. The fallen human mind is subject to anything. When it won't believe the truth, it'll believe anything. And when it doesn't have a cause that is eternally true, good, and beautiful for which to die, they don't want to die. And they'll do anything to preserve their lives. Anything to preserve their lives and their fortune. People will do this, says John in this vision. So he'll have great popularity. And then we should notice in verses 9 and 10 what you have. First of all, you've got an ear. You can hear. If you're in Christ... If your life has been changed, your heart has been changed, your ears can hear things, your mind can listen, and all of a sudden you have the prospects of being reasonable and believing ultimate truth and shaping your life after it. It doesn't mean you're doing it today, but it means you can. And it does mean that you will eventually. You have an ear to hear because you believe in Christ. You believe in the kingdom. You believe in the Bible. You struggle with it. You don't understand all of it. But you, have a, you want to hear. You want to hear the truth. Secondly, you've got a God who controls history. This is something to be grateful for, is it not? That yes, all these grotesque beasts come at us and they have all these powers that, that are delegated to them by the dragon himself. But we do not fear because we have a God who controls history, including those beasts and the dragon himself, as we shall clearly see. And then we have a faith that endures. It will endure anything. When God gave you the gift of faith, He didn't give you a gift that will get you through most of your troubles. You know, the rest of it you'll just have to handle by yourself. Forget that. He gave you a faith that endures everything. Everything the devil can throw at you. 
Do you think that when God gave you the gift of faith, He didn't know what you're going to need it for? You know, He'll allow He'll allow the dragon to have maybe some F-14s and some F-16s. He ain't going to give him an F-18. Because that's the best we've got. So we'll let him have some F-14s and some F-16s, but we're going to have the F-18s. And we're going to take them out. we got the best weapons. He's given you a weapon that's perfectly matched and it's superior to the enemy's weapons. So you have all that you need for life and godliness. You don't have to look around. You don't have to go to Bible school. You don't have to do any, you don't have to do backflips. You don't need to wait until you can speak in tongues. You don't have to do any of that stuff. You got it all if you're trusting in Jesus Christ. You've got all that you need. So that's what he's showing us here. Look, this grotesque beast, human organization, human power, the power of the flesh is extremely powerful. But your faith conquers even that. And we shall see how that works out at the end. Now, secondly, let's look at the next beast that the dragon calls upon. That's his first, that's his first trick. Pretty impressive, isn't it? Let's look at his next one. Verse 11, Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship and, and the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. Okay, we've heard a few things about 666. Let's get into this. All right, now, what's he saying here? He's saying, okay, you've got the first beast. This is the beast of earthly kingdoms and rulers and those who have worldly power. And they will seek to assault you and to throw you off track. Your problems have not ended because the dragon has another beast. This is the beast that comes out of the earth. And what is this beast? Well, every view will have a different view of this. But once again... From the idealist point of view, we believe that what John is really saying is, look, this beast is a religious beast. It's a philosophical beast. It's a thinking beast. And it's going to seek to influence culture to worship the first beast. So you not only have human emperors, but you've got, he's got his priests. Now think about it. If you go back even to Canaanite religion, think of, well, think of, think of the worst, which was a melding of Israel and Canaanite false worship. And you remember Jezebel, Ahab's wife, who encouraged him to forsake Jehovah and go with the local religion? And you had the, beasts, uh, the uh, priests of Ashtaroth and of Baal who were serving Ahab. And this is the way it always is. The beast uh, uh, coming out of the sea is so beastly and so grotesque, so blasphemous, he will, by nature, by fallen nature, develop a religion that will ascribe unto himself more and more power and more and more prestige. 
So he'll even try to shape religion to do it. So let's look at this, this second beast and see what the lesson is. The lesson, once again, again, you get the very last verse, verse 18. This calls for wisdom. So what is John telling us? Wisely discern spiritual deception. Once again, there's a mind game going on out there. It's beastly. It's the second beast to get you to fall prey and to bow down before the worship of human power, human money, human sex, human pleasure, all of that. So we've got to be wise. This world's religions have a few things too. Verse 11, a deceptive outward gentleness. Two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. They'll be very sweet and very charming and speak in low tones, no anger, only gentleness. And you can see him on PBS just about every week. And talking about the um, life force into which you plug yourself so then you can think clearly after cosmic realities and getting you plugged in really to your own psyche and searching for your own pleasure. That's a perfect religion for a government that wants to control you by your own fleshly concern for yourself. There's a priest of Ashtaroth right on your TV. Have you ever thought about it that way? We need to be wise. Anything that's contrary to taking up your cross, denying yourself, and following Jesus Christ is a lie. And it is a trick of the beast out of the earth. That's, that's what John is saying. Don't fall prey to this emperor worship crap, is what he's saying. It's a beast. It's to get you to fall down before the emperor who's trying to destroy you. Because the devil came to steal and to kill and destroy. Jesus Christ came that you may have life and have it to the full and have it forever. And so there's a major battle going on. One, making you think he's bringing you pleasure, but in the end destroying you. The other one, asking you to take a cross and deny yourself and end up with glory. And you decide. But that's the clear choice that is to be made for us. So he will speak like a little lamb. But he is a dragon in disguise. He speaks just like him. If you'll listen to the words, they're dragon's words. Secondly, they have great authority. They have all the authority of the first beast. So the dragon is empowering this one just like he empowers the worldly systems. So you have false religions and you have domineering human systems. And the false religions are fueling the domineering human systems. You find it in every culture in the world. I haven't been to all of them, but I've been to a bunch of them. Every single one of them have this game going on. It's the beast out of the sea and the beast out of the earth. Thirdly, they have supernatural powers. So if you're one who chooses your religion and chooses your philosophy based on human power or even supernatural displays of power, you've got a problem. You say, well, I thought the apostles did this. Well, Moses did it too. And yes, indeed, it did add credibility to their message. But remember, the Egyptian magicians imitated Moses up to a certain point. But it wasn't at the gnat thing he couldn't do. finally couldn't do gnats. <laughs> you know, you'll get to a point where the magic doesn't work anymore. How do you discern? You'll listen to the message. Is it worship God 
take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow Him for His glory? Or is it, hey, do this and you'll have a wonderful life. Do this and you can be successful. Which is it? Listen to the message, brethren. It's not look at the power and see how many wonderful things they can do and how many miracles they can claim for themselves. Listen to the message. Is it the biblical message? Fifth, fourthly, they'll have power to lead people astray. These false religions will have many, many adherents. And frankly, uh, Christianity is the largest religion in the world. That makes no difference to me, except that more people will be going to heaven. It makes no difference to me in terms of its credibility. When Christianity started, it was the smallest religion in the world. Actually, it had more power, I think, in some ways in the first century than it does in the 21st century. So size has nothing to do with it. Many people will adhere to all kinds of religions. And we have to learn in a pluralistic society how to get along and be just and fair to everybody, regardless of their religious perspective. That is the Christian perspective. So fairness and justice and equality are absolute biblical principles. But that doesn't mean that every religion is true. We have to be wise and realize there is truth, and it's, it's, uh, it's not represented by every single religion. People will be led astray. These, this beast uh, has power to harm economically. They will be marked. And you'll see this marking in chapter 14 and chapter 20 as well. What does this mark mean? The mark of the beast. Gentlemen, there are all kinds of theories that in seven minutes we don't have time to, do, to study. Let me just make it real simple. If you'll look in the Scriptures in Revelation in particular, numbers, once again, are symbols. 144,000 means the church, God's people. 1260 days means what? The inter-advent period, which is what we're in right now. 666 means what? It's the mark of man, he says. What does that mean? It just means fallen man and his kingdom, man's kingdom. It's the mark of the beast, that beast out of the earth. I mean, I'm sorry, the beast out of the sea, the human power. Six is the sixth day. Man was created on the sixth day. So six is a number for man. And six, 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 there you have it. Everything is fully for man. It's focused on man. It's his kingdom. It's his desires, his pleasures, his wishes, anything he wants. You deserve it today. Go get it. Go for the gusto. Everything's man. That's six, six, six. And that's the mark of the beast. That's what he's trying to do is to use that fallen inclination in human beings to get you under his power. So there's a devilish, draconic sort of activity that's going on behind the scenes. That's what John is showing us. Now, uh, what do we have? Well, in verse 18, we have wisdom. Wisdom to do what? To discern the 666. Now, people have all kinds of theories, you know, like Caesar's name, you know, in one language or another. Uh, if you take the numerical value of each of the letters, it adds up to 666 and all this kinds of things. I don't think any of that is what's going on here. I think it's simply, he's saying, the mark of man, which is the mark of the beast. So it's just simply discerning what is 666. And it's discerning in our culture what is 666. And I'd like to take a few minutes to determine how we do this. First of all, let's talk about how we endure to the end. And just, I'd like to just give you a few little hints on how I think about this, if I can find my hints. And they seem to be escaping me. Here we go. <clears throat> how do we endure? Going back to the first beast. First of all, trust in the Lord. Faith is what enables us to endure. You put, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you haven't done that already, you'll find you're trusting Him for a lot of things. You're trusting Him to love you and to encourage you. 
You're trusting Him to save you from the guilt of all your sin so that your heart is free. You're trusting Him to cleanse you. You can't clean yourself up. So you're trusting Him to change your life. You're trusting Him to take care of you at the end to get you to heaven. And you're trusting Him to provide for you now. You're trusting Him for a lot of things. Everything He promises in the Bible, you trust Him for that. That trust is what gets you through. You just keep trusting Him. Keep looking to Him. If you've got a complaint, take it out to Him. He's in control of history. You've got a complaint, talk to the boss. I mean, you can talk to me, you can talk to your brother, and we can help you, but we can't help you ultimately. Only Christ can do that. So trust Him. Talk to Him about it. Secondly, contemplate the end. The psalmist says, I was confused about the arrogant in the, and I was envious of the wicked. I couldn't figure out why they were so prosperous, why they seemed to have everything. And my feet had almost slipped, he said. I was so confused until, he says, I entered the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. So yes, we'll be, we'll be envious of the, of the arrogant and of the prideful and of the prosperous and of the wicked until we contemplate revelation. And then who would be envious of someone who's going to be completely destroyed with a dragon and his beasts. Does that deserve your envy? It deserves your pity, and your sympathy, and your desire to help people, not to envy them. So contemplate the end. Keep short accounts. What do we mean by that? What we mean is, look, if you're struggling with pornography, if you're struggling with not dealing with your wife the way you should, or your children the way you should, if you're struggling with keeping an honest expense account, if you're struggling with telling lies, deal with it! Do you know who's behind all this? The beasts. The dragon is behind all this. What's, what is his strategy? All this stuff that you thought was not just not that important, I kind of do that on the side, that's not really the project, projectile of my life, the trajectory of my life. He's after you. Don't give him a toehold. He doesn't deserve it. He's the one who hates your Savior. There's a battle going on. Please get on the right side and wear the right uniform and learn how to use your weapons, please. So, don't mess with Him. And keep short accounts and deal with everything that comes in your life when it comes. Some of you have a very hard time opening up your heart. Find a confidential professional friend if you want to start there. Pastor, psychologist, counselor, somebody that is paid to do this. And then find how to find unpaid friends with whom you can share your heart and keep short accounts. Build solid friendships. Accountability partners. Prayer partners. Friendships. Real friends who know how to talk more, uh, who know how to talk about more than just the bottom line of your business. They can talk about the bottom line of your heart. And then practice the spiritual disciplines. This is what they're for. The Bible, prayer, worship, the sacraments. This is what they're for. They're God's nourishment to us. They're God's weapons for us. Look at Ephesians 6. Take up the shield of faith. Take up the sword of the Spirit. Learn how to use these things. We're in warfare. Onward, Christian soldiers. So this is what we do to endure. Then lastly, and we're not going to get to the first part of 14 until next week, how do we become wise? We're told to be wise. Okay, this is how we endure the persecutions and the onslaughts of human systems and power. How do we become wise about all the false religions, all the false philosophies, all the uh, things seeking to lead us astray? We've got two minutes and we'll see if we can handle this. First of all, study God's Word. In the banking business, I'm told, with bank tellers, you know, how do you, you ask them, how do you detect a counterfeit? And she'll just tell you, well, just by counting the real thing for hours upon hours. Just counting the real thing. And the counterfeit comes across, whoops, that doesn't feel right. 
It's the same way in the spiritual life. Deal with the real thing. Get your life based on the real thing. Then when the counterfeit comes along, the beast sticks up his ugly head. Whack! Take it off! Don't mess with him. You detected a counterfeit in that very moment. But if you don't study God's Word, if you don't have a habit of reading it, if you don't care about it, you're going to be tricked. It's just that simple. You won't know the real thing and it won't feel wrong to you. So study God's Word. Practice what you know. The interesting thing about biblical wisdom is it's not just head knowledge. It's head knowledge put on the street. And when you get it on the street, then you have knowledge. and Then you have wisdom. So wisdom is very practical. Look at James chapter 3, and you'll see he contrasts earthly wisdom with heavenly wisdom. And you'll notice that heavenly wisdom is very ethical. It's very loving. It's considerate and pure. It's morally pure. So until you get those things in your lives, you don't have it. No matter what you know in your noggin. Thirdly, listen to godly friends. You need good friends. I tell people who join this church, look, the experience that you're going to have in this church, and I'll say it about any of your churches, is determined on the friendships you make. And your experience of the Christian life will be based on the quality of the friends you make. And your life can almost be described by the friends, the close friends you have made, because those are your counselors. You need to have good friends and you need to listen to them. Some of you have very good friends and you're not listening very well to them. And they've given you advice and you've spurned their advice. Listen to them. Lastly, read insightful analyses. There's a book out recently by Nancy Piercy called The Total Truth. It's just an analysis of some things in our culture. Every once in a while, you need to pick up a book like that, Total Truth, Nancy Piercy. And just read through it and see how she's uh, analyzing various religious and philosophical things in our culture. Where is the beast at play in our culture? He's in every culture. Where is he at play? And do some analysis. You're a leader. You're a father. You're a worker. You're, you're, You're involved in your church. You're in this Bible study. You have influence. Use your head so that you can lead others as well as your own life by being informed by analyses of what the beast out of the earth is doing in our own land. And you'll find that He's at work. You'll also find this. God's people are at work because they're enduring through faith in Him. And they are wise. And there are a lot of them. And they're sitting in this very room. And that wisdom, just as the power is being given to the beast from the dragon, guess what? The power to endure and to think and to reason and to be wise is coming from above. And it's more powerful than what's coming from below. Praise be to Jehovah. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your wisdom and for Your endurance. We saw how Jesus Christ endured. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross and scorned its shame. And we are His disciples. And we would also endure our crosses. And we would scorn the shame that is heaped upon us from all the beasts that the dragon can raise up. We pray that we'll go from this place enduring wisely as men of God. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, gents.